0: You have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Psalm 22. What interests me is that weeks ago when we were designing this series, that I chose this psalm for today. You know, that that's that's just God. I mean, you, you, you can't orchestrate these kinds of things. Did you ever question God? Countless times, probably for most of us. And I, I was thinking... C.S. Lewis, in the book, A Grief Observed, where he recounts his pain of losing his wife, he talks in there, and I'm going to paraphrase, I won't get it exactly the way he says it, but talks in there and he's saying, it's not just like we come to God sometimes and the door is shut. Sometimes it's like we come to God and it's double bolted too. Do you ever feel that way? If so, you can relate to what the psalmist says in Psalm twenty two. Tell you what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about three stories. I want to talk about David's story when he wrote Psalm twenty two. Then I want to talk about Jesus' story, who's the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm twenty two. And then I want to talk about our story. So come with me through these three stories to hear what we can learn. We don't know exactly when this psalm takes place, what what event David is recounting. I've often wondered if it ties into the Absalom betrayal or perhaps a battle he was in that we don't exactly have recounted in the scriptures. We don't know exactly. What we do know is that the door seemed to be bolted in his relationship with God. And what we do know is he felt all the people around him wanted him dead and ridiculed and mocked him. That's what we know. Don't know exactly what event it's referring to. Something in David's life. And here's what I want you to notice. As we work through the psalm, You will find in verses 1 to 21, you will find David, first of all, crying out to God in verses 1 to 10. And then praying for deliverance from God in verses 11 to 21. And then in verse 22, everything's going to shift. And David, who has been crying to God and praying like crazy to God for deliverance. Is going to praise God. He cries, he prays, he praises. First of all, his cry. And and, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you can't fully understand what I'm about ready to say. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about we as Christians can cry from the very depth of our soul over incredible pain and difficulty that we're going through, but we don't do it out of a heart that's faithless. We do it out of a heart of faith. And the fact that we know that God loves us is the incongruity as to why in this moment we don't feel it. Isn't that the issue? And that's exactly what you see the psalmist going for. This is not a faithless cry. This is is a cry and a prayer of faith to a God he knows is for him, but he can't feel it in the moment. So listen to what he says. Oh, this is the other thing I want you to notice. We're going to talk about David. David's going to engage in what... what, uh, English majors will often call hyperbole. You know what I mean by hyperbole? Where, where I, I kind of over-exaggerate so you can kind of get a sense of what I'm feeling right now. You know, so I may say, I'm dying. Well, I'm not literally dying. Well, I, over a lifetime, okay. But you know, you know I'm, But I use a hyperbole to express how I'm feeling. You know what I'm saying? David will use hyperbole. But when you come to Christ... It's not hyperbole. It's reality. So listen to David's cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. It's like he cries out, and he doesn't even feel that God can even hear it. Look, when, you, when your child says, Daddy, don't you know that call? There are times when I hear, Dad, I know I got 10, 15 minutes before I have to do anything. And there's other times when I hear, Dad, you know what I mean? You're, like, You're there, right? That's this kind of cry here. He's going, Daddy, God. And no one comes. Or so he thinks. My God. I cry out by day. But you do not answer. By night. But I find no rest. He's persistent. He stays at it. And there's nothing. But look at. Verses 3 to 5. Remember I told you. It is a cry of incredible depth and pain, and yet it comes from a heart of faith. Notice what verses 3 to 5 says. This is what David knows. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. God, I'm crying out to you. I know you're a faithful God. I've looked back at our history. That's who you are. Isn't that what makes it harder? I know who you are. I know what you've done. But you seem so silent in this moment. Again, the cry returns in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You you, you hear the ridicule? David says, God, where are you? And it seems like everybody around me says... Come on, man, where's your God? Like, what's up? But look at verse 9 and 10. Again, the cry and the pain comes out of a context of faith. Yet, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I look at my life, God, I found you faithful from the time I was a child. I mean, I, I know you are faithful, but but isn't that our experience? I mean, you, you can look back and say, God's hand. God's hand, God's hand, God's hand. But now, in this moment, it's pure darkness. I, isn't that what happens? And, and, and the psalmist is saying, God, I know Israel's history. I, I know my history. But where are you? Now, I, I, I don't say that out of a heart without any faith, but it's because I know that that this, it makes it this even worse. And again, in verse 11, he switches from a cry to a particular prayer. I was thinking of an image here, and maybe this would help you. When one of my children were really, really young, I had to take him to the doctor for a procedure. And um, I had to hold my child through the procedure. And it was a painful procedure. And the look on their face when they looked at me, because they knew I loved them. They, they knew I was for them. But for the life of them, they could not understand why I would hold them and allow somebody else to hurt them as I was holding them. And they were too young to explain it. I, mean, I there, was, there was no way. And and the look on their face made me cry. I mean, because I, I I knew, I knew the big picture, but I knew they never would. And the child will cry, and pray, and say, "Daddy, make him stop! Daddy, make him stop! Daddy, make him stop!" And I, I didn't. I, I I, I didn't want to. I, I mean, I wanted to, and I didn't want to, all at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how I picture this psalm. David is crying and he's saying, Daddy, make him stop. This is what he says, verse 11. His prayer. His cry to his prayer. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. And then he's going to pick up on three images. Bulls, lions, and dogs. Um... Do you ever watch those guys on TV that, you know, they they like to kind of be chased by the bulls? I think that's pure insanity myself. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that's like stupidity off the charts. Okay, just just a personal opinion. So, I I mean, I don't really want to be thrown in a pen with a bunch of those things, personally. Do you? And, And so he's going to use the imagery of bulls here. Lions are really great behind glass. But I don't want to go in the pen. And when you see dogs, don't think of Fluffy. You're your pet. You know, a rover, whatever you call them. These are wild dogs. If they get near you, what they want to do is they want to take pieces out of you. As you're finding in the psalm. So listen to the imagery as he works here. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is welted within me. You know what that's like when you no longer feel like you have any life in the soul. And it's just, it's just gone. David says, my heart is melted away. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And, and God, to make all of it even worse, you lay me in the dust of death. God, I think you've abandoned me. You're letting this whole thing happen. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And and literally the idea is, you know, with these dogs, they would come and if you're sitting around and not doing much, grab something from your hand, from your feet, whatever. They'll just, they attack. They attack wherever they can. That's what they do. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You know when you do that to somebody? You know when you cast lots for their garment? When they're dead. David says. I am almost dead. You can see all my bones. I'm not eating. People are against me. They're already planning. Who's going to own my car. After I'm dead. They've already divided my stuff. It's in a bad way. Verse 19. But you Lord. Please. Please. Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My my, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I have to tell you, I don't know what happens exactly between verse 21 and 22, but something happens. Something off the charts. And it may be, in David's case, that he received an oracle from God that all was going to be well. I I don't know. Or or deliverance came somewhere between verse 21 and 22. I, I don't know. All I know is the man who for 21 verses has been saying, Daddy, why don't you do something? Now stands before the people of God and praises God for his deliverance. So I want to read through the praise of deliverance. And I want to answer some, ask you some questions because what happens if you're never delivered? <laughs> Isn't that right? But listen to David's praise first. Verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. David says, God answers. God comes through. And, and I want everybody here, David says, in the assembly to praise him also because that's who he is. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. You know, many times in Israel, when you would come and do sacrifices to God, you do a sacrifice, and then you'd sit down and you'd eat what you've just sacrificed, the meat, right? David is saying here is, God, I want everybody to praise you. So when we do that sacrifice and we sit down and eat, I'm going to call in all the poor too so they can eat with me. And together we can say, isn't he a great, good God? I mean, I want everybody. I want everybody praising God, everybody. Look what he goes on to say, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Now look, I have to tell you, I read the end of the psalm here and it seems like a little bit of overkill. Doesn't it? David comes out of this situation, he says, God, I want everybody in the assembly praising you. I get that one. But God, what is ultimately going to happen from this experience is all the earth is going to worship you generation after generation after generation is going to worship you every kind of person is going to worship you from the rich to the guy who's ready to die everybody will praise you and i'm thinking to myself like when did that happen in david's life <laughs> yeah, i mean like i'm saying like i got you david but that seems like a little bit of a hyperbole a little bit now look i'm really happy that you're happy about what god's done that's a good thing But I'm thinking, like, like when did that happen exactly in David's life? Did you see the issue? So we read Psalm 22. And we could come away and say, wow, that encourages me. It encourages me because another saint of God struggles and finds God faithful. And and, and it's true in our own experience. God being faithful may not happen in this world. It may happen in the world to come. Fair enough, right? We know that. But this psalm does much more than that. I mean, that alone would be great, wouldn't it? Great example, David. Praise the Lord, I can do the same thing. That's great stuff. We find that often in Scripture. But this psalm does something much better. This psalm says... Okay, that's David's story. David's story is filled with hyperbole. Did they divide up his garments? No, David thought they were about to, but they didn't actually. He's using hyperbole, isn't he? I'm about ready to die. I get it, David. I get it. It's absolutely appropriate. Fair enough. But you know there is one that that psalm fills out on perfectly and it's Jesus Christ Would you come with me in your bibles to Matthew 27 The psalm is quoted from five clear times in the New Testament with several allusions beyond that I want to start reading in Matthew 27 in verse 39 I want you to tell me if you hear any themes being repeated. Will you do that? Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 39. Well, let me start in verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Do you remember what Psalm... 22, seven said, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Do you hear that? Let's read on. And saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. If you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, saying, hey, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's supposed to be the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Now listen to this, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Go back. To Psalm 22, and verse eight, he trusts in the Lord. They say, "Let the Lord rescue him; let him delight deliver him, since he delights in him." David, David, do you know that you gave this lament to God because you were about to die, but you didn't? But another would give this lament to God, who would? David, let's read on in in Matthew 27. Look with me, if you would, down in verse 46. Let me start in verse 45. From, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have to tell you, theologians don't quite know how to plumb the depths of this one. The Trinity, God is one essence, three persons perfect fellowship, always from eternity, past and eternity. What does it mean in this moment when the Father allows Christ to become a sin offering for us? And Christ bears all of the pain of the world so he feels abandoned by his Father in that moment of payment. And he cries out the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know what I think? He was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be. Isn't that marvelous? In my deepest moment of sorrow and pain, I am never forsaken. I feel it but I'm not one other passage John 19 also talks about the thirst so we could go there but let me let me just have you look at one other passage quickly and then I'm I'm going to wrap it up would you come with me to Hebrews chapter 2 for just a moment Hebrews 2 well, you know what? Actually, let me start with Hebrews 5. Two incredible passages. Hebrews 5 and verse 7 is very similar to Psalm twenty two twenty four. It says this, Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Here's what doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know how the verse ends? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Was Jesus saved from death? It depends what you mean, I suppose, doesn't it? Did Jesus die? So in that sense, he wasn't saved from death but in dying and paying for the sins of the world and then resurrecting from the grave, death and all of its consequences are ultimately destroyed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the one who prayed for deliverance from death was answered not in the way that we thought maybe he would have been, but in the way that God knew it needed to happen. And very quickly, Hebrews chapter 2, because this particular verse is, is quoting right from Psalm 22. I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 2, and, 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 and I, we're getting to our story, so, so stay with me, stay with me. Listen to what it says. And I know I'm reading a lot of text, but this stuff is so rich, it's so powerful. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, listen to what it says. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family, we're human. He became one of us. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his people, his brothers, his sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will sing your praises. That quote comes exactly from Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. And here's what you find. When I read that praise back in Psalm 22, with David, it sounds a little bit to me like overkill. Really? All the world is going to come to you and bow and you're like, "Hello." But in Jesus, it will all happen. Jesus, our great high priest, who has suffered in a way that you and I will never have to suffer, And that's not to minimize your suffering. It's not to minimize your suffering. It's just for you to know that everything you go through it gives you perspective because of the one who suffered far more than you will ever suffer. And he says I have a name which is above every name and at my name every knee shall bow. All the world will come under my authority. Generation after generation after generation will hear of me. And I read the end of Psalm 22 and in in do be colored lights, I think of Jesus. Don't you? And Jesus cries out to all of us, God, I will praise you for my brethren. I love them. I became one of them. And I want them to praise you too when they look at what I've gone through and what you've done through me. I want them to praise you. Jesus is the greatest of all worship leaders. Do you know that? Man, if he was up here, Man, he would really be, he'd be singing out louder than all of us. Because he says, praise him. I have gone through suffering. The world can be forgiven. The whole world can be changed. Rich, poor, everybody. Even people who are on their bed ready to die. Oh, isn't that marvelous? And he cries out to us, praise him because of what I've done. So what do I learn? I learned this one who has suffered, as Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 goes on to say, is a high priest who is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. I don't know what you've gone through. Well, you know what I know? I know everybody in here has experienced pain at different levels to different degree. I know that. Some, it's been more intense than others. And you just need to know, as one who knows Jesus Christ, whatever you go through, there is one that understands. There is one that has gone through it much more deeply than you will ever go through. Who calls you to come into his presence, who will never abandon you, and will minister his grace as is necessary. And so the title for the message, Lord, teach us how to lament. Jesus teaches us how to lament, doesn't he? When you think of him, yeah, think of David, great example, but ultimately think of Jesus. And let that so overwhelm you that whatever your story, you, like David, can cry to one who is for you because of the one who has ultimately suffered for us. Remember a few weeks back. I. Really. Wanted God to heal my dad. Been in the, He's been in the hospital eight times since September. And uh, actually I was on vacation when he was coming out. When he was going in for the last time. And. Um, Came back to the hospital, and I'm thinking, well, oh, we'll get this under control and be out in a couple of days. But it was obvious. You know, unless God works an incredible miracle. He, he, he's he's, he's, he's going to pass during the presence of his Lord soon. And um, I remember talking to my dad and um, asked him a couple of things. I'm supposed to be preaching at a camp this week and different things like that and just talking to him about that. And he said, no, you need to go. You just need to go and preach and minister to those young people. You, ju- you just need to, you know, and, and, and how you doing, dad and me? And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm, I'm ready to meet Jesus. I know he's for me. I just want my wife cared for. I want to say goodbye to all my children. It's a great way to die, isn't it? And um, although my agenda was a little bit different than my dad's and then God's, God is heard. And dad will be delivered soon. Do you know that? He, he's going to die, but he's told me he hasn't had a leg for every 10 years. He said, I'm going to have a leg again when I'm with my Savior. It, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I don't know how you do it. I honestly don't know how you do it. You can say, well, you need a bunch of crutches. I need a ton of crutches, frankly. You got it. More crutches than I can carry. And you do too. And I cannot imagine you trying to walk this life without Christ. I just can't even imagine it. It's hard enough when you know him. Lord, teach us to lament. Father,